Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. Mark 1, 9-11 In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Holly. So we are in the third Sunday after the Epiphany, which is the first liturgical season of a new calendar year. And every year toward the beginning weeks of Epiphany, we come back to this story that Holly just read, the story of the baptism of Jesus. And it's a really good story to return to at the beginning of every year, not only because it is the starting line of the ministry of Jesus, where his ministry really begins, but also it is the starting line of the spiritual life, of your spiritual life, of my spiritual life. It is the origin out of which everything else in your Christian life flows. At some point, all of us who have chosen to follow Jesus have an epiphany, a, a recognition, a revelation that great love has been pursuing your heart and you choose to surrender to that love, to that way, to that grace and commit to follow. And at that point, many choose to be baptized and baptism, just as it was for Jesus, becomes this starting point and a recognition of the beginning of the spiritual life. And so uh, for, for those of you, if you have not been baptized, would love to talk with you about that. It is such a core sacrament and a way of saying that you have made this commitment to follow Jesus. But baptism is not a mere symbol, though it certainly is that, but it's more than that. It is also beyond symbol a form of sharing with Christ. It is a participation with Jesus through his death and resurrection. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him in baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And so baptism is a form of participation with Jesus where the old is taken into a life that is no longer being lived and we are raised into a new life as well. But catch this thing, because it's key to our text today. Because we participate and share in the baptism of Jesus, because we are brought into what happens with Jesus through baptism, not only do we share in the baptism of Jesus, we share then in the identity of Jesus. 
And this is so key because it means we can affirm that the same word that we hear spoken over Jesus, that the Holy Spirit speaks, is also spoken over you and I. And if you catch anything today, my heart is that you would hear this. You have been spoken over. Your life has been spoken over. Long before what you've done right, before what went wrong, before deep pain entered your story, before mystery or suffering came your way, what is the most core about your life is not brokenness but belovedness. Long before you knew yourself, you were known in the eternal heart of God. You have been spoken over. Your life has been spoken over. And at the parish, we often talk about this desire that core to our understanding of the Christian life is that we would become increasingly like Jesus. But I want to make it clear that we don't seek to become like Jesus in order to become beloved, but rather because we already are beloved, we can, uh, out of that belovedness, seek to become like Jesus. And the pattern goes like this, that it is out of responding to what has been spoken that things are shaped into a new creation. Think about Genesis 1, the beginning of the the scriptural story that God's spirit, we read, in the beginning hovers over the water. And water is representative, especially in the ancient Near East, of chaos. It is a form of chaos, of a lack of formation, of a lack of purpose, a lack of clarity. And over that chaos, the spirit hovers and then speaks a word, and out of that word comes creation so that what was formless without definition or shape is given definition and shape. What was nameless without identity or purpose is given identity and purpose. And the creation receives that which was spoken over it and then quite naturally, out of doing nothing other than receiving what was spoken, becomes a new creation that God calls very good. Put it this way, in your life, God's spirit descends on the waters of the chaos of your life and he speaks over you a word of belovedness and blessing. Just as Jesus saw the spirit descend on him in the water and speak the word over him. And so what happens then is the same as what happened in Genesis. But now with your life, what was spiritually formless becomes formed, shaped by the water, the the running water over the hard rock of your heart and slowly, increasingly reformed into the likeness of Jesus. What was spiritually nameless is now named and brought as a child, no longer as a servant or a slave, but as a son, as a daughter, brought as a child into the new family of Jesus, the word of belovedness spoken over you. And so hear that blessing that you are a beloved child because it is the most intimately true thing about you and it is the starting point and the only pure origin of the Christian life. Now, you might hear that and think, yeah, of course, 
Like, I know that. <laughs> I've heard that many times, uh, especially because we do revisit this story every year. But what I want to ask is today, whatever it may look like for you to take that beyond the point of mental ascent and, and, and wrestle with that in the mud of your life to pin it down at some deeper level, dare to ask for it to seep deeper still that you are beloved of God. Because just as it was for Jesus, so often we hear these words, but we are quickly drawn into the wildernesses of life, and we're tempted to function out of other identities. If we neglect the inner work of responding to what has been spoken over us, we almost inevitably respond instead to life through the filters of self-rejection or self-protection. Right? We hear lesser words spoken over us by the, the noisiness around us, and they tell us to prove ourselves, to protect ourselves, to hide ourselves, to make a name for ourselves. And so as we enter a new calendar year, what would it look like for you to hear the voice that calls you beloved of God? That's that theme we've been sitting with these past two Sundays, hearing, listening, hear the voice that calls you beloved of God. And may I be so bold as to suggest that to hear the voice might include having to repent of lesser identities and names that you have claimed over your life, and also repent of lesser listenings. Things that you are bringing into your, your ears, so to speak, that are, that are becoming noise, right? Like, what would it look like to re-examine the information diet, the information intake of the lesser listenings of, of news feeds and, and what's on TV and what's on social media and the noisiness of constant notifications and email? Like, we might need to put some of that noisiness aside in order to hear the voice that calls us the beloved. Hearing is actually a form of obedience. If you look at the Latin word for obedience, it's obadiah, and out of that what, that, what that word actually means is something along the lines of to listen attentively or to hear. There is a connection between hearing and obedience. Right? Think about the Samuel story that Andy shared last week. We, we get that picture that's so beautiful and compelling that kids have a unique ability, a childlike ability to hear God in ways that we have forgotten how to as adults. But we also pick up a truth that there is also another side to childlikeness, which is that so often kids also have this ability to become so absorbed in what they're doing so distracted, so drawn into a particular task or a particular thing that they're doing that they no longer are listening to what is happening around them, right? And I wonder what that may look like for us in our lives. We had this incident in our home a few days ago where we were getting ready to take the kids to school and uh, it was 10 minutes before we were about to go to school and I say to the girls, hey, go get your shoes on. Make sure you have your shoes on. About five minutes later, I check in. I say, I'm reminding you, please make sure you have your shoes on. I mean, we are looking each other in the eye having a discussion. And, uh, you know, sure enough, 
It's time to go to school and there is a missing shoe and God only knows where this shoe is. I imagine uh, perhaps you've had this moment in your home and we're running around and we're scrambling and I found myself going, why didn't you find the shoe when I asked? And uh, my daughter looks at me and goes, you never told me to find my shoes. <laughs> and I, I think it is, uh, it's fascinating to reflect on the fact that when I think about my kids not obeying, it is far less often about defiance and far more often about distraction. Right? The problem is not that they have hard hearts. The problem is that they have such busy hearts. They're, they're so absorbed in what they're doing. And I find myself as a father wanting to say, you're not listening. Beloved friends of God, are you listening? as we start this new year, or is the hustle, is the noise, is the drive of what you want to do, drowning out your dad's fatherly voice of love, the Holy Spirit's motherly voice of love. Your first obedience in the Christian life is to hear, and everything else flows out of that. It is a prerequisite obedience because it shapes the sort of identity that we can then become the kind of people who are allowed and freed up to say yes to other identity, to, to other obediences, right? I cannot show up in forgiving ways, in others-oriented ways, in surrender, in trust, in long-suffering if I am not convinced that I am safe in the Father's house of care and that I'm not at stake. I won't, in other words, be able to lay hold of the family way, which is that I am uh, how we do things in this family, until I am convinced that I have laid hold of the family name, which is that I am loved in this family, I belong in this family, I'm a part of this family. And so if you find yourself here saying, like, good TED Talk, Jordan, I appreciate that I, I am loved, I have value, good kind of like sentimental message to begin the year, but like what's uniquely Christian about that? Well, what is uniquely Christian about this and the reason I am convinced it matters deeply beyond mental ascent, but to get into our hearts, is that this has to do with theology and sanctification because to the degree I am not convinced that the first and last word spoken over me is belovedness and belonging, then I will show up in every other part of my life trying to get that need met. I will live afraid in this fearful need to prove. I will fear that every relationship, every task, every activity is going to pass down a lesser verdict on me. And so now I'm approaching everything in my life with a hole to fill. I show up in every relationship on the Hunt to get my ego needs met. And so then I come to relationship with you and I need you to see things the way I do. I need you to affirm my decisions, my actions, my views on things like people and priorities and politics. And this puts us then in every moment in a fundamentally coercive posture because I'm showing up in relationship with you partly to meet my own need, and I need you to give what you cannot possibly give. I need my church to give what it cannot possibly give. I need my small group, my friends, my family, 
to give what they cannot possibly give because this is a word, this is a verdict that can only be pronounced over us by the Father. And so short of receiving that deeply, I subtly manipulate, I twist your arm, or I despair and withdraw. And so claiming who we are in the Father's house, the Father's family, is less so that we can go then do a task, but instead that we might become the kinds of people who are healed enough to then show up in the world as God's person, truly for the sake of others. Because I don't need to have any kind of reciprocal exchange of need meeting because I have first gone and heard the voice spoken over me, and now I can truly show up. What would it look like in this world, this moment we find ourselves in, if the church could actually show up in the world just for the sake of others? To actually pass the gift along to you so I can hear the voices of others God calls loved, rather than need to be heard. If you're like me, you need to be baptized in that belovedness every single day. The first item on my personal rule of life is to create space every day to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. Because if I don't hear it each day, I find myself again and again drawn into those lesser temptations of the wilderness life. So how might a change of listening whether that's through prayer, through counseling, through information intake, through your daily schedule, revisiting that. How might that change of listening help you hear the voice? Where do you not believe it? And what might it look like to say, God, tell me again that I am your beloved child, not for mere sentimentality, but for sanctification that I might, for the sake of others, obey God by listening afresh and receiving this year that your life has already been spoken over. Let's hear the voice that calls us the beloved this year for the sake of the life of the world around us.